Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Sermon Archive. Today's sermon, for the sixth Sunday after Epiphany, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions about today's sermon, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website, faithlutheran-aflc.org. Now let's join in and hear what God has to say to us today. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the sermon text appointed for this Sunday. The sermon is taken from Psalm 119 verses 1 through 8, which can be found on page 957 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Psalm 119 verses 1 through 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As a work of literature, Psalm 119 is an absolute masterpiece. It's an acrostic poem consisting of 22 separate strophes or stanzas, each one dedicated to a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's why, at the, in most of your Bibles anyway, you'll see the letter lifted before each one of their eight-verse sections. And by the way, if you're not careful and you intend to learn the Hebrew alphabet, your pastor might call you randomly and sing a song he wrote to help you remember the Hebrew alphabet. You can commiserate with Adam about that later, and you'll have Yankee Doodle stuck in your head for a good portion of the day. But uh, one of the ways to memorize the Hebrew alphabet is to learn Psalm 119. Every verse in those sections begins with that same Hebrew letter. And so our section for this morning, verses 1 through 8, every line of this poem begins with the Hebrew letter Aleph. Now, this is remarkable, especially when I consider my own poetic acumen, most of which consists with starting, uh, there once was a man from Nantucket, or maybe something along the lines of, roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and poetry is hard. Goes something along those lines. But, but Psalm 119, in stark contrast to that, is one of several opportunities we have to marvel at Scripture, at both its depths and riches, but also the miraculous way God used the talents of human writers to create something beautiful and something that is worth studying. But beyond all that, and even exceeding its artistic value, Psalm 119 occupies a special place in Scripture. Because this entire psalm is dedicated to the praise of God's Word. 
And even beyond that, or maybe we would say more specifically, Psalm 119 is dedicated to the praise of God's law, which is what we're going to be looking at this morning. But before we begin, we need to answer an important question. Why would a poem celebrating God's law be so significant and important to the church? The law is both good and is a part of God's word, certainly, but the church has a long and inglorious history of confessing that it doesn't have a positive effect on us. Why would the church so readily praise a, a word that not only condemns our sin, but causes us to stand guilty before God? This has led many Christians and even Lutherans to adopt a law-bad, gospel-good mindset when it comes to thinking about and proclaiming God's word. What we look for is something that makes us feel good about ourselves. And what we shun is something that brings us shame. But this ought not to be, and Psalm 119 helps us understand why. So the first truth, this morning we learn about Psalm 119 and God's law, is that in fact the law is the Lord's. Now Martin Luther in his commentary on Psalm 119 says the key to understanding this psalm is to understand what the psalmist means when he writes, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. In Luther's mind, and I tend to agree with him here, there's a vast difference between the law of the Lord and the law of Moses. Maybe not so much in quantity, they're the same words either way, but really in purpose. The law of Moses refers to using God's law as a means of salvation. It's essentially a synonym in the Bible for works righteousness. The law of Moses is the trap the Pharisees fell into, a system of do's and don'ts designed to give a reasonable opportunity for someone to earn and practice their salvation as they wait for eternity. But we know from ample places in Scripture that not only is this an impossibility, but the more one tries to earn their salvation, the more condemnation they end up heaping upon their own heads. But the law of the Lord is different. The law of the Lord is the law functioning as God intended it to do. It doesn't highlight a way for us to be saved, but in reality it highlights our need to be saved. And this is the truth that trips up so many Christians. How could something that points out to both me and especially to God that I'm a miserable failure of a sinner be something that is good and desirable and necessary? Because God's law, the law of the Lord, doesn't ever stop at condemnation. God's purpose isn't to smite us or condemn us with his law, although he will if he has to, God's purpose in his law is to bring about repentance, to bring us to a point where we recognize that we are hopeless and helpless and we need to cry out to God for his grace and mercy. And in this way, the law of the Lord is always in service 
to the gospel. Always working to accomplish God's plans for all humans. The law then is also important because the law is a guide. If there's one thing that humans excel at, it is inventing ways to be righteous. We will deem a certain behavior. Generally, this behavior looks like it's difficult enough, but it is also just easy enough for us to actually do, and we claim that is righteous. But then the important part hits. Not only will we declare something to be righteous, but we will also demand it from someone else. And so what what we demand is often something like, I am good at this, you should also be good at this, and if you're not good at it, it proves that you're less righteous than I am. If there's two things humans excel at, it's telling others we think we're being righteous. Humans never, ever stop at sinful pride. We always need someone else to notice us in our pride. We always need to go out of our way to tell others that we're righteous. But God's word doesn't work that way. God's law doesn't really care about human righteousness. Because God's law cares about his righteousness. There are a couple of interesting phrases in the middle verses of our psalm section for today. The first is verse 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Notice the integral part of the, the, the law plays in seeking out God and determining his will. That's because in the law, God communicates to us his holiness. Multiple times in both the Old and New Testament, God communicates to his people something like this. Be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Or Jesus puts it in just a few verses past their gospel lesson this morning. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now one of the reasons why we always mishandle and mistreat the law is that we have it somewhere in our brains or maybe even somewhere in our souls, this idea that the Ten Commandments are ten arbitrary rules that God has given us so that we might get a good grade on Judgment Day. For many Christians, whether we realize it or not, The Ten Commandments fill exactly the same role as one of those worksheets you had to fill out in high school. There was really no purpose to it other than that at the end you got a grade because the teacher had to put something on your report card. That's how we handle God's law. We think God made up ten rules, all these seem just fine, and then at the end of time... I will evaluate these people and and see who gets in, and we all think that God grades on a curve. Except that's not the case at all. The law calls us to be holy because God himself is holy, and in this way, the law shows us how God is holy. He says, be holy as I am holy holy. The second phrase we want to key on in this psalm is in verse 3. Walk in his ways. 
The law provides us with boundaries for how God wants us to operate as his children. God has not left us directionless to wander here and there, hoping that we might be pleasing to him. Uh, I worked for a pastor one time who, who kind of described God's communication in this, this misunderstood way as, think if you, you brought someone from the deepest part of the Amazon jungle, someone who had had no exposure to Western or modern civilization. And this man, not only uh, traveling by modern transportation, including flying back to the United States and, and traveling in vehicles, this man saw you plug in your phone to charge it. And all the other times, this man saw you receiving information from your phone. And so he would think to himself, there must be some power communicating to you through your phone, which in turn receives the message from the electrical outlet. And so what this man does, not having a cell phone or an electrical cord, takes his finger and sticks it in the outlet. And he has a hair-raising experience. And he would conclude by default, without any other knowledge, that the god of the electrical outlet was angry with him. But not knowing why God was angry, this man would wander around trying to fix the things he thought were upsetting in his life, and then when he thought he did that, he would go back to the outlet and try again, and again, he'd be zapped. But that's not how God's law works. We don't have to wonder what God wants us to do. We don't have to wonder what God calls us to be when he calls us to be holy. In God's law, delineated in the Ten Commandments, God has told us how to be pleasing to him. And that is summed up by love God and love others. Which brings us to the final reality we learn about God's law. God's law is righteous. Now, I've taught about this several times, so many of you will know where I'm going in this direction, but it's worth repeating again. Righteousness is one of those select few Christian words that we all automatically think we know what it means. And the way it works is we see righteous in the Bible somewhere, we say, hmm, yep, righteous, and then we move on. We don't define it, we, we don't think about what it means, and, and we miss a lot of nuance and teaching when we do this. And so we're going to observe the exercise of defining a word here. And the best functional way I've ever heard to define righteous is to be rightly orientated. Okay? You want to be rightly oriented to something that makes you righteous towards that person. God's law helps us to be rightly oriented in two different directions. Working backwards in this case, we are rightly oriented to our neighbor when we love them according to what the law has prescribed. Respect authority, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't gossip, don't covet. Pretty basic stuff. But God's law also helps us be rightly oriented to God. And this is where we pause and change our mindsets. God's 
law doesn't help us be rightly oriented to God by what we do. God's law helps us be rightly oriented to God by informing us that we are not currently rightly oriented to God. That because of our behavior, because of our lack of doing or our doing wrong, we need to be rightly oriented to God. And this is where the last section of this psalm helps us understand that. The very last phrase is what we want to clue on, clue into here on this. Do not utterly forsake me. That is an appeal to God not to be abandoned because of our sinfulness. That is an appeal to God for him not to turn his back on us because of who we are. And so for us to be rightly oriented to God, there needs to be another way for the righteous requirements of God's law to be satisfied. And that's where Jesus Christ comes in. Jesus, in his life, satisfied every single part of the law. Every demand, every rule, every commandment, and as we heard in Matthew 5 today, even the spirit behind it. Jesus obviously does not murder, but Jesus does not hate. Jesus obviously does not commit adultery, but he also does not lust. He does not throw us under the bus by gossiping against our reputations. Instead, the opposite is true. Even now, Jesus stands before the Father as our advocate, as one who loves us, his neighbor, perfectly. Jesus is perfect and rightly oriented to God the Father for us. And in this way, through his death and his resurrection, Jesus not only takes our place in the punishment we deserve for not doing that, Jesus on the cross takes all of our sin and makes it his own, and he gives us, as a gift, all of his righteousness. And what that means is that what God's law calls for from us, we now stand before God as that. God looks at us, even in this moment, because of Jesus, and he says, not guilty. And he looks at us because of Jesus, and he says, righteous. You have satisfied God's law because of Jesus. Because the law of the Lord, God's word functioning as God designed it, is to save us. And so we, as Christians, do not fear to fix our eyes on God's commandments. We do not cower in shame when the commandments point out to us all of the places that we've failed. 
What we do is we come before God freely at his invitation and we cry out for mercy and we ask for grace and we beg forgiveness. And every single time we do that, because of Jesus, God forgives. God has mercy. God declares us righteous. And we walk away from his word, and we walk away from his altar, and we walk away from this building every week knowing that what God has done for us is restored and reconciled us. Knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that not only does God not forsake us, but he will not ever forsake us. Until we join with the psalmist. We join with the authors of all scripture that God has used to declare his word to us. And we praise God. And we thank him. And we read his word. And we love him. And we love our neighbor. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.